0: What was your week this week? Yeah? Anybody Anybody have a trial? Anybody go through anything? We don't have trials. This is Florida. That's it. Praise God. Psalm 74, verse 9. We're going to continue. I think this is part 4. Part 4. Our signs. Our signs. How many of you know that God has given us signs that need to be showing through our life. And so that's what this series is all about. And um, we'll take as our, our main text, just take a minute or two to review where we've come from, and then move forward this morning. Psalm 74 and 9, Israel laments. We don't see our signs. There's no longer any prophet. There's none among us who knows how long. Rhetorical comment meaning how long is this going to go on? There's no no one among us who knows. No one is seeing. Our signs have vanished. So the absence of Israel's signs was evidence that they had drifted away from God, out from under his favor, away from his presence, and their unique identity among the nations had been lost. They were just like everybody else, like Samson when he got his hair cut. Um, But hundreds of years later, the promised Messiah came. And after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit entered the world, and the New Testament church was born with supernatural signs flowing out from within it. And 1 Peter 2.9 says, You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may show forth the excellencies, the wonderful works, the power, uh, the perfections, the virtues of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, the Old Testament signs were an indication that the God of heaven had come down and was moving among them, but these New Testament signs, which we're pulling out of the book of Acts, um, these New Testament signs that flow out from the midst of us, they declare that we are the house of God, that he's tabernacled with us, and when they're flowing, God is in the house. That's what the signs say, God is in his residence. And there is no scriptural evidence that God ever intended to turn his heaven-born, spirit-connected church over to an earthly institution. We're called to be more than signs of what we believe in. We're called to be living signs of what God is doing. That's the signs of God. It is the activity of God flowing out from our lives. And it's unfortunate, but... uh, Today, many churches are more concerned with maintaining their denominational or their theological signs than God's signs that he inhabits them. Therefore, until Jesus returns, these signs of God should be flowing out from us as a people collectively out from our lives as individuals. And if we don't see these signs, like Psalm 74 verse 9 says, we ought to be crying out to God in prayer. It ought to to just be immediately go to number one on the list, prayer and intercession for reconnection with God, a people for His own possession, so that we can show forth the signs of Him that called us out of darkness. Now the seventh sign on my list is laying on of hands. This sign is a divine function of the Holy Spirit. It's not a religious symbol, but an impartation of the anointing of God. First Timothy 4.14 says, do not neglect the gift which is in you, which was directly imparted to you by the Holy Spirit, by prophetic utterance, when the elders laid their hands upon you. So, through laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit installs ministry gifts, such as we read about in Ephesians 4, 11, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, and other ministry gifts, installed, imparted and installed in people through laying on of hands. Through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit imparts healing, Miracles, deliverance, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. In Acts 19 and 6, the scripture says, when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Now, most of what we see today in, in the practice of laying on of hands is more of a gesture of sympathy or of authority of approval on behalf of the church or of a sympathetic people for whatever you're going through. And it's all right. You can can lay hands on people as a gesture of approval or a sympathy for them, but it's not the sign of the laying on of hands unless there's an impartation of transforming power from God that changes them. Whenever the operation that we're referring to in this list as the sign of the laying out of hands was in operation. Things changed. Something happened. People were improved. In Mark chapter 16 and 8, Jesus said they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So it's okay to pray for people. Lord bless them and pray prayers. I think sometimes we pray prayers have absolutely no expectation. Uh, we would be shocked uh, if something were to happen. If somebody were to get healed, oh my God, they, they, can you believe it? They got healed. I, I didn't believe it when I was praying it, so I'm really amazed now. But, but the whole idea, you, you'd never see the biblical practice of laying on of hands, which was supposed to be a sign of the church, an indication that God was in the house flowing through his people. You never see it happening in the book of Acts without there being a result. So it's fine to be a symbol and a gesture, but the fact is is it is a tool, it is a function, it is an operation. Something should be happening, praise the Lord. So the other thing with laying on of hands is that there can be real problems with laying on of hands, human pride, misuse of that symbol of authority. God could have certainly avoided all of the problems with human pride and misuse, And simply chosen to impart his blessings, his provisions and everything, and bypass laying on of hands, bypass the agency of man. I mean, imagine if Jesus rose from the dead and just kind of floated into our midst in, in, in a spirit form, and everything that happened in Acts would happen, but it would never be through anybody laying on hands or speaking a word. It would just happen. And people, and Christianity would be a form of mysticism and not really a, a, uh, a function of God's redemption among his people because that's what it was all about, is the Lord connecting with his people. So he could have bypassed the agency of man and there were, there's always been and always will be good reasons why we shouldn't allow these things to happen or we should so regulate them to death that uh, people are just scared to death to practice them. And here's one of them right in the book of Acts. Here was a very good example as to why they should have stopped doing that. Um, And it says in chapter 8 in Acts that uh, they went down to the city of Samaria. Philip preached signs and wonders were happening And uh, the apostles came down, started laying hands on people, and, and we'll pick that thread up in verse 17 where it says, they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Well, Simon the sorcerer, who was standing by watching, noticed that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, and so he offered to buy the gift. He said, I got a lot of money, I'd happen to make a sizable donation, if you would lay your hands on me and transfer this so that I can do that. And of course, Peter said to him, well, you and your money can can just rot in hell. And basically, he was rough. I'll tell you, you took your chances when you went to church back in those days. So, um, But the fact is, is that what the sorcerer observed was exactly what God wanted him to see. God wanted him to see that through the laying on of human beings' hands, God was flowing. Now the, the sorcerer was in business, in the mysticism business. So he he's in a parallel uh, occupation there, and he sees, wow, you know, um, all the little tricks that I've had to use over the years, these guys, they've got something powerful. So he, he offered to rent it, buy it, or whatever. But the fact is that he didn't see the wrong thing, that the error, he didn't see the wrong thing because Peter in 1 Peter 2.9 says, we are a people for God's own possession and the evidence of that possession you should be showing forth by showing forth or the signs of God being in the midst of you. Lord, make me a living sign, not just of what I believe, not just of what you have delivered me from, but I want to be a sign of what you're doing. Hallelujah. Now there's a living gospel. So Simon's error, though, was wanting God's power without God. You know, people are willing to give God credit, but they don't want to commune with God for God to flow through them. And see, that's the difference, is that the signs of the church occurred as the people used their communion and fellowship and submission and obedience to the Lord and drew close to him, and the closer they drew to him, the the fainter the world became. So it's easy to make the mistake and think, well, the holier you get, the more powerful will be the way God uses you. It's easy to, to make that connection. That is not true. It wasn't them getting holier. It was them getting closer to God. Holiness was just simply a byproduct of them getting close to God. So people even make a mistake when they pursue holiness rather than pursuing Jesus Christ, pursuing the Father, pursuing fellowship with Him. And so God, however, is fearless in His love. Perfect love casts out fear, right? God practices what He preaches. He's absolutely fearless in his love. He risks us messing things up like they, like they got into a mess in Corinth. He's not worried about it at all. He's, because he's got people like the Apostle Paul to help straighten it out, jerk the slack out of, out of uh, what, the, the foolishness when people get into it. But the Bible says, let all things be done decently and in order. Some people are so wed to that decency and in order that nothing ever gets done. We got to make sure everything's decently in order. Once we get those hatches battened down and everything's buttoned down, nothing's moving, nothing's happening. So you sail, you, you launch your boat, and then you trim your sail. You get out there, and, and then you learn the finer Points of sailing. You get out in the water, you're not going to learn anything. Uh, Just sitting there with a chalkboard and a piece of chalk and listening to a lecture. So God fearlessly with his love, he risks his authority, risks his reputation by streaming his power through vulnerable vessels who are prone to getting proud and and taking the glory for themselves from time to time. Don't you think our Heavenly Father is big enough to put you in your place when you get a little silly, get a little ridiculous like that? You know, God is a Father, and and part of being a Father is that He guides and He corrects us. So, He does why would God cut off His nose to spite His face? Why would God cut the glory off, the manifestation of the glory of God out of the church just because people can sometimes become like the Corinthians. But the reality is, is that the, the Lord loves this. He loves dealing with us. He loves teaching us and, and flowing through us. Why? Because that speaks to the world. You see, the unsaved, they see that. They see God working through people that are trying. What an awful message it would be to the unsaved if they saw perfect Christians Floating an inch off the ground, never deviating, never making a mistake, just absolutely pristine. And the world would look at them and go, Well, no wonder signs and wonders happen to them, but who could be like that? That's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is, Look, God has got the pot on the potter's wheel and He's forming that thing, but He's using it while He's making it. Glory to God. Hallelujah, which gives glory to God. People look at that and go, Well, that's God. Because look at that goofball. He certainly can't be producing a miracle. Look at him, he's just like me. The Bible says that we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Laying on of hands is all about transmitting that message. So God would have it no other way. Before I move on to our eighth uh, gift and the final one that I'll share this morning, um, I'd like to share with you what I would call a key, a key of understanding, kind of a context. This This is a frame of mind you should have, the way you should think. If you want to really be involved with laying on of hands, if you want to see this sign moving in your life, laying on of hands, there is a way that you should think. And in a a simple nutshell, I would say that you need to understand that God has designed and ordained you for a primary purpose, and that is to give. You are designed to give. You are called to give. You're called to be a giver and to follow in Jesus' footsteps. For God so loved the world, he did what? <clears throat> Jesus is the embodiment of giving. And so whatever heaven wants to give, Jesus reflected it. And that's the, that is the key to laying on of hands. If you want God to use you in laying on of hands, bypass all the mysticism and understand, have a relationship with God where you become a giver. And you can't be a giver if you haven't been first a what? A receiver. You can't give what you don't have. Um, People actually get offended when you're trying to give them stuff that you don't have. So, (laughs) here, if I could kind of follow this metaphor of, of the earth. You need to be fertile like the earth. The earth gives its produce after it has received rain, after it has received seed. It just naturally produces. See, God wants you to be a producer. When you lay hands on people, he wants what he has sown into you to flow out. Now, I mentioned earlier, through the laying on of hands, the impartation of healing, deliverance, miracles, ministry gifts are given. Certainly, those don't originate with you. They originate with God. If you watch the language of how these things were written, it says that, during the laying on of hands, Timothy, you received a gift. Stir that gift up <clears throat> that was given to you as you were being prophesied over and hands were being laid on. So you could see the involvement of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit being the one that, that brought those supernatural powers of God to bear upon Timothy and other people's lives. But they flowed through fertile people. And that is a key to giving. So here's here's what I'd recommend. I, I had a wonderful experience this week. The week before, not so much. Um, I've been Ter, Pastor Terry and I were working on a few projects of the church, putting some folding tables up. Uh, we pulled a toilet out. We had to remodel a wall that had rotted uh, in the men's bathroom and everything. By by the way, feel free to appreciate that <laughs> job when you. Because the week before when we did it, we got into a mess with that wall. And the the more we tried to fix it, the deeper the job became. We were tearing into the wall and ripping, cutting a hole in. We finally put a toilet in, kind of recessed it in the wall. When it was all done, I looked at it and just said, that is terrible. That is a terrible job. I was so angry. I admit it. I was getting anger and anger as the day went by. I was so miserable. Then I was working on a project at my house, won't even go into it same type of thing i was just trying to make things work quickly and it just was awful so i repented i said lord I, you know i i did terrible work this week it was just bad and uh Please forgive me. The Bible says, uh, uh, Commit the work of your hands to the Lord, and so shall your thoughts be established. And Lord, I got up in the morning. I, for, I didn't pray like I should spend time with you. Just rushed off and into the day. And the day grabbed me and had its way with me and threw me back into bed angry. Um, so I repented. I said, I'm going to go back and tear those jobs out, and I'm going to redo them. God deserves to have them done right, and, and I deserve to have to redo them. <laughs> so at any anyway, rate... Um, I prayed, and I went and did, and they turned out beautifully. Tuesday, which is my day off. My day off, so that you'll, Kathy's not here today, so I can say this, so you'll sufficiently have sympathy for me and feel bad for me. I don't really have a day off. I get worked like a red-headed stepchild on Tuesdays. Got a list this long of stuff that needs to be done at the house. So that's what my day off consists of. Um, And Thursday, we're down here hitting projects. So, boy, I'll tell you, this past Tuesday and Thursday, it was like heaven on earth. Oh, me and Jesus had the most wonderful time. I was in the fear of the Lord. Father, please help me with this work. Just bless it. I I just humbled myself before you. And I was in joy. Those jobs turned out beautifully. They really looked nice. Even the women. Poke your head in the men's bathroom. Just take a look in there. So, at any rate, bottom line is, I'm trying to bring a point out. Live and work whatever you're doing with Jesus. Do everything you do with him. Let him get involved in your life because when you do, you're receiving. You're receiving his grace. You're receiving his joy. Your work is turning out good. People will praise the work of your hands. They'll say, wow, that was great. You do such a great job, and you know, you know it's the Lord. When you live like that, You eventually get to the point where you know, I have the Lord. I'm full of God. I'm full of the Lord. You don't get full of the Lord because you ran into church 10 minutes before the service and threw out a prayer while all week long running around and not having any fellowship with God. You get full of God by just daily involving Him in everything that you do. Now, what's this have to do with laying on of hands? Peter and John are going up to the beautiful gate of the temple in Acts, what is it, 3, I think. And they're going up there, and there's the lame man, and <clears throat> Peter says, well, silver and gold I have none. Such as I have I give you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he tut- laid hands on him, grabbed his hand, lifted him up, and a miracle took place. Jesus said, or excuse me, Peter said, when he saw the man, look on us, look on us, such as I have, I give to you. Peter wasn't operating in pride, and Peter wasn't saying, I'm going to use some of this apostolic authority that God has given me. This is great. I'm so better that I've got so much more than all these other believers. I'm the Apostle Peter, and I'm going to use it. Silver and gold have I none, such as I have. Peter gives to you. No, that's utter nonsense. Peter was not operating as an apostle, so to speak. He was simply following the instruction of Jesus. They had come fresh out of that communion and fellowship with the Lord, and he knew what he had. He felt God on the inside. And that's what you should be doing seven days a week, is walk around and know you have the Lord. And then when those immediate opportunities jump up, you you will have Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah Shammah was that Old Testament compound covenant name of God that meant the presence of the Lord is here. You will say, wow, the Jesus' presence is with me. The Holy Spirit is with me. The Father's with me. And <clears throat> so that is the key to laying on of hands. You will know that you have him so that you've got him to give to others. When you lay hands on people, the key is, Give them something. Otherwise, it's nothing but sympathy. Oh, that's right. it's just, and that's okay, too. But it can be so much more than sympathy. <coughs> Number eight. Number eight. The eighth supernatural sign of the church is preaching. Hallelujah. Preaching. Now, as suddenly as the Holy Ghost fell on the day of Pentecost, Upon the believers, preaching came forth. Immediately, preaching started to happen. No sign other than prayer is more common to the filling of the Holy Spirit than preaching. Now, because sermonizing, and I distinguish preaching from sermonizing, sermonizing is a learned skill. Um, And we sometimes forget that preaching is not sermonizing. Um, Because you can learn to sermonize, put together sermons. You can go to school. You can learn to do You can watch somebody. You can be a clever learner. You know, it's, it's a skill. You can develop that skill. And because we see so many people using the skill of sermonizing, we have forgotten preaching, real Bible preaching, is a manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can have that manifestation of power manifesting through preaching, operating in your life. Preaching doesn't come from talent, doesn't come from education, doesn't come even from human zeal. It's produced by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 6 and 19, Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, Pray for me that utterance... Everyone say utterance. We don't use that term utterance too much anymore, but you know what it means. Utter is to speak forth. Pray for me that utterance may be given to me so that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Isn't it amazing that a guy who was probably one of the best educated and probably one of the most prolific talkers, religious talkers in his day, begged for utterance, begged for preaching. He prayed for preaching. He never thought that because he could talk, because he was influential, because he could impress people with what he knew, he never considered that to be the same as preaching. And I think it's like the old saying, some, were, some uh, were called, and some were sent, and some just grabbed a mic and went. And we see so many people today, <laughs> never heard that, huh? There's so many people today, and they're operating not under the supernatural anointing of preaching, but they're simply operating under a skill set that they've learned. Maybe they've had it refined with an education or or something, or maybe they've come under a great preacher and and they've learned. But we forget. Paul called preaching utterance. Pray for me that I may be empowered with preaching so that I can make the gospel known. Now that, to me, says a lot. Paul never thought, that the true sharing of the gospel would happen the way God wanted it to happen because smart or talented people got up and talked about the gospel. He said, I need to make this gospel known. I need to impart it so that we see a result. And that can't be done unless I have been anointed with preaching. Wow. Now you might think, oh my God, I can't even, I can't even talk, I can't even open the Bible and talk to my kids. Uh, You know, some parents can't even share the Bible with their seven-year-olds. They don't know what, well, I don't know what to say. Much less, now I've got to be supernaturally anointed to, to preach. Don't look at it that way. Look at it this way. Yeah, maybe you, maybe you are not skilled, at uh, calling out chapters and verses and putting all those thoughts together, I would suggest study. (laughs) Just recommend, read your Bible, study daily, get into the Word, know it. But aside from that, some people are just not really skilled at at expressing, putting together, speaking. How many of you just would rather take an F in speech class (laughs) than to get up? And That's why you never see Kathy in the pulpit. She just took F's. She said, just flunk me now because I'm not going to get up and talk in class. But guess what? Even people like that that are not gifted at public speaking and hate it can go to God and say, Lord, give me the anointing of utterance. And man, that anointing carries its own abilities with it. That preaching Praise the Lord. So understand. And understand at the same time that preaching is not teaching. Teaching is explaining. Preaching is proclaiming. There's a difference. We don't, yet. Yeah, well, I was going to say we don't explain the gospel. That's, that sounds bad. Um, when we are presenting the unsaved with the message of the gospel, they're not getting saved because we're explaining it to them as much as we are Proclaiming, And I want to point out the difference. I want to share with you why preaching is proclaiming and not explaining. In Luke chapter 4, uh, Jesus says of himself, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now listen to this because you've heard this a hundred times. But listen to it in light of, of this point. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. He anointed me to preach. He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Listen, it goes on. And to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, set at liberty those that are bruised, and to preach the year of the Lord's favor. So the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the gospel, preach deliverance, and preach the year of God's visitation and favor. People, we would have more responses to the gospel, we'd have more deliverance, and we'd have more of God's favor if there was more preaching. Now, I'm not talking about sermonizing. I'm talking about Holy Ghost anointed preaching. If Holy Ghost anointed preaching comes from the Holy Spirit, produces the gospel result, produces deliverance, produces the Lord's favor, my goodness, you would think people would be signing up all day long at God's desk. Sign me up. I'm going to seek God for this gift to be manifest in my life. As I said, teaching is explaining. It has its place. It's important. It's necessary. But it's not preaching. Explaining may lead to people understanding. But understanding doesn't necessarily lead to people deciding. Proclaiming leads to decision. You know, in Matthew 4 and 17 it says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you think Jesus could have talked people into things? Have you ever read how that he would have these confrontations? And I thought, you know, if he wanted to, he could have had those Pharisees eaten out of the palm of his hand. He could have had everybody eaten out of his palm of his hand. Jesus did not use the power of explanation. He did not use teaching to grab people by the mind and talk them in to the decisions that he wanted them to make. They needed to make those decisions from the heart. Decisions are made from the heart. Decisions aren't made from the head. There's no amount of information that can force a decision. Proclamation leads to decisions. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, For after in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save those that believe. So God, with wisdom and knowledge, creates the universe, creates the world, but then the world, the people of the world, rise up, and with wisdom and knowledge, they can't figure out what's going on. That's what sin did to them. And so they can't figure out where they came from using knowledge. And God chose in his infinite wisdom to use preaching, proclaiming. This is the truth. Boom. This is the way. Walk ye in it. And not bothering to talk people into it. Not bothering to take all 10 or 12 of their objectives and eliminate all of them, because you know something, you can eliminate all 12 objectives. You're not going to get a decision, you're going to get another 12 uh, objections. Taking away people's objections does not bring them to decisions. It simply causes them to go out and find more reasons why they don't want to do what you're presenting them to do. But when proclamation, when the gospel is preached, it's preached not to the head but to the heart. And I was an atheist, a complete and total orthodox atheist, got saved alone in my bedroom one night, had never heard a sermon, had never been in church, had never opened a Bible in my life, never prayed, never tried to seek God, didn't believe there was anything to seek when I got saved. God revealed himself to me, and I asked, are you Jesus? And he said, yeah, yes, I am. In a way, that's the way it came across to me. And the fact is, I received Jesus before I understood anything about him. And I dare say that most of the things that God has imparted to you came into your life before you had them figured out. The Bible says, go into all the world, preach the gospel, um, and... uh, He said, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teach them to observe all things that I have commanded. So once they get saved, you're teaching them to observe all things God's commanded. Have you ever noticed that there's no end to the teaching of all things that God has commanded? So if a disciple isn't minted until he is doing all things that God's commanded, then there's no disciples And there never has been or never will be. But the fact is, you can make a disciple in a day. All he has to do is receive Jesus Christ, be folded into the community of God, and have someone explain to him, now you need to do the things that God's commanded. All right? I commit myself to doing everything God's commanded. Well, don't you want to know everything? No. No, I don't need to know. I'll find out by and by. But I'm committed to do it. Whatever it is, I'll do it. And that's how you get saved. Preaching hits people at that level. That's why you can not, ha- you don't have to be afraid that people don't understand everything that you're saying to them. Just tell them, God loves you. Jesus who died for your sins, rose from the dead, and um, he wants you to receive him as God, Lord, and Savior. Oh, they got a million questions. And it's fine if you want to let them ask the question, but at some point you can't just let that runaway train just go down the track where you're chasing them trying to answer all their questions because they're never going to get to the gospel from there. Preaching just puts the door right in front of you and says, Jesus is Lord, you need to receive him. You'd be surprised how many people will stop dead in their tracks, stop all the questioning and go, you're right. See, that's why it's a miracle. Preaching sets people up for the Holy Ghost to move upon them. When you preach the Word of God, the Spirit of God comes on them. The Bible says the blindness of their eyes that keeps them from believing is a result of demonic interference over their life. When the gospel is preached and spoken to them, it's like a light that cuts through the shroud of darkness. Amen. And in their heart they know they need Jesus. God said, By the foolishness of preaching, I'm going to save people. So, preaching is the voice of life piercing that shroud of darkness and calling people. And let me say this this is one or two other things I need to say before we pray, and that is that preaching's not just for professionals. If it's not a learned skill not that there's not things to learn but that it's primarily not a learned skill then it's not just for ministers oh thank God can you imagine if the responsibility to win the lost was all sitting on the shoulders of people who've been to seminary or Bible school or are currently employed in the ministry why first of all that literally attacks the very heart of the call to take up your cross, follow Jesus, be a witness for him. Every Christian ought to be a preacher, whether you're preaching to your kids. And by the way, you're not a preacher just because you can use a hanky and raise your voice. Sometimes, sometimes the test for a preacher is when I grab the mic, the sweat pop out on my forehead. If sweat pops out on my forehead and my voice gets a little growl in it. Ooh, that boy's anointed to preach. You see that? I see that. Get the hanky out. Mop up the forehead and go to it. See, that, that may be a style. I've seen preaching like that, and I've seen behavior like that that wasn't preaching. And But preaching can be with a soft voice. Preaching can be, you can sit down and preach. You could be driving in your car and preach to somebody next to you. Why is, how is preaching different than just witnessing to somebody? In many cases, witnessing is preaching, if it's got those right, proper elements. It is simply speaking the gospel. What is the true element of the gospel? It is that Jesus Christ died for your sins came into the world he is God and he rose from the dead and he is calling you to himself and you need to receive him you've just preached you've just preached hallelujah i wonder where is the desire to preach today where is it increasingly numbers of young christians seek ministry positions as musicians entertainers community workers administrators But where's the burning desire to preach? It seems there's a diminishing interest in preaching the gospel. And I find a reason in Romans chapter 1 when Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Now, why would Paul be ashamed of the thing that transformed his life? Because he knows that in the world, people get offended at the context of the gospel. Not so much the gospel, but the context. The context of the gospel is, you're wrong. Jesus came to make you right. And especially in today's politically correct culture, you can't tell people they're wrong. And people have a heightened sense of entitlement. They are entitled to their their unassailable position of of self-rightness, of correctness. And the very context of the gospel attacks that. The very premise of the gospel attacks that. We're fine if you want to add Jesus to our life, but if you're telling me that where I'm at is not good and I need to come out and be with Jesus, well then. So Christians are afraid. Christians are absolutely afraid that... (laughs) Uh, of not being accepted by people who don't like to be confronted. Think about that. The more Christians need to be accepted by people who don't like to be confronted, the less the gospel's going to be preached. You can't worry about confrontation if you're going to operate in this gift. Now, this is not the gift of obnoxiousness. <laughs> just so that you know. just Some people think you're not preaching until you make people mad. You're not preaching until you offend somebody, but that, I hope that we know that's not true. The sign, the sign of preaching needs Christians who are alive enough with the love of God to be dead enough to the pressures of political correctness and become brave enough to preach the gospel. That's what we need, enough love to not worry about what people think and preach the gospel and reach them. And I'll close with this thought, preaching the gospel, that anointed sign of preaching is the spiritual homing beacon for lost hearts that are adrift in a world of darkness, of sin. Man thinks with his head, but he sees with his heart. You can talk to the head all day long, he's never going to see Jesus. You preach to the heart, he'll see What his head is blind to. Close your Bible and stand with me this morning. I'd like us to have our closing prayer around these two signs.